From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 34 of What's Wrong with Revenue. Today, we're going to be talking about you're not designing your campaigns properly. Uh, Eric, glad to see you back from your uh, trip up north and your 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 bout uh, with the pandemic. How are you feeling? I am back in the game, Mike. Good. I'm glad to hear it. For everybody who is used to listening to us or watching us, let me let everybody know how you get access to the show. We're on YouTube. The Squared to Marketing channel features all the What's Wrong with Revenue episodes. Check us out there. Subscribe to the show. Watch the show like us and leave us comments. We really appreciate it. You can get the show on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're into video, head on over to Square2 Plus at square2marketing.com backslash square2plus. All of Square2's audio and video content is there and you can subscribe to Square2 Plus at the bottom of the page and we'll email you when there's new content posted to that platform. We post content literally a few times a week. So go check it out. If you want to submit questions to the show and we'll handle some questions today, you can go to the What's Wrong With Revenue page also on the Square to Marketing website. You can find that at the footer, What's Wrong With Revenue. And you can actually get notifications of upcoming shows right there. And you can also submit questions. So today we're going to be talking about campaign design, something that we run into fairly frequently, even at sophisticated marketing companies who are running campaigns or think they're running campaigns. Um, everybody wants to do them. Hardly anyone knows how to design them effectively. Uh, a set of paid ads on Instagram is not a campaign, or I guess it would be a small and likely inefficient campaign. But most of what we're going to try to talk about today is multi-channel, or as we like to say, omni-channel campaigns. And understand what we mean by that, it's going to be kind of important to our conversation today. So, you know, again, a single email, probably not a campaign. Some people might think that is a campaign, but hopefully we'll be able to reset your expectations about what a campaign is today. And you're certainly not going to get results if you're executing a single channel campaign like we just gave you two examples of. Uh, campaigns as we see them, they need to be designed to carry similar messages or stories through multiple channels like your website, email, paid, influencers, partners, search social, and even other uh, outlets as well. And when these are all working together, telling the same story in a consistent way with solid offers and good creative, that's when you get a really solid omni-channel campaign and that's where you're gonna see most of your results. So uh, our agenda for today, talk a little bit about how to create campaign messaging that connects with your overall company positioning. That's kind of important. So you may have an overall company story and you want your campaign to be consistent with that overall company story. How to select and execute using multiple tactics or channels. So we'll dig into that a little bit how to connect the different channel offers and the creative so that your campaigns uh, are, are uh, sewn together 
where there's some common thread across all your different channels and all your different executables. How do we track success of the campaign? Because that's really important. What else? It really comes down to campaign results. And then how long to run the campaign? That's a question we get offered and uh, uh, asked often. In fact, that is one of the questions today. So we'll probably cover that in the question and answer section. Um, and uh, Eric, kick us off. What do you think about this campaign design uh, question? Yeah, so a lot of people uh, come to Square Two, our firm, and they are like, I need results. Results are such an open-ended topic. It could mean so many different things to so many different people. What they really mean is I need to grow my revenue. And luckily we have a show called What's Wrong With Revenue? If they clearly enunciate, I have to grow my revenue, <clears throat> well, that's a very direct uh, charge for us, right? This is what we have to do. So a lot of times people will jump to the tactics before they'll talk about the strategy. And we've talked about that many times on our show. Campaigns are no different. Let's run a paid campaign on LinkedIn. Okay, great. Let's do it. So the actual listing of the advertisement on LinkedIn is one of maybe 20 uh, uh, components of a really good campaign. But to your earlier explanation, Mike, people think that just advertising is the campaign and it's really not let's start with the definition of campaign we'll take two different kind of campaigns political campaign and war time campaign nobody says we're going to beat the enemy we're going to fire one bullet at them and then the war will be won campaigns take a long time over much land and different uh kinds of weapons and different people implementing that to get to the ultimate goal of winning the war. Well, if that's really the case, then how could you say that a campaign where you send out one email is a full campaign? Is it a tactic? Absolutely. Is a rifle a tool? Of course it is, but it's not gonna win the war. Political campaigns. Everybody, I decided I'm running for the mayor of Philadelphia. That's it, go vote. No talk about what my platform is, no going out and kissing babies, right? No heading to the local diner for photo ops and talking to constituents. I'm just going to announce it and it's over. Of course not. Campaigns, once again, a lengthy process where we're trying to tell our story to the right people to get them to act in the way we want them to. So if you apply that to marketing campaigns, I think the average listener would realize, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of moving parts. There's some time. There's some strategy involved. There's ultimate goals we want to track. Are we winning in the polls, right? Have we taken more land than the enemy? All of these things relate perfectly to a marketing campaign. And I think when you look at it at that 30,000 foot view and you understand that a campaign is a, a multi-pronged, long strategic and tactical event, now we can start to peel back the onion on what your marketing campaign should look like. Yeah, those are two really good examples, uh, and they should resonate with our listeners because, to your point, you know, if you want to achieve whatever results you're you're setting out there, unless it's just to you know send an email, which I guess might be your objective, but that wouldn't necessarily be a results-producing objective. You're going to have to do more than one thing. It, don't call it a campaign. Right, right. And just right. say I'm right. going to send an email right, and follow right, up right. with the people I met at the trade show. Right. Exactly. Right. It's it's a it has a different. Um, use case than the actual campaign use case, right? So let's let's start at the beginning, okay? So um, I find it very interesting that when we talk to clients about campaigns, they struggle even to come up with like what the campaign should be about. 
And I think this is interesting because, and we've, again, we've talked about this before, a lot of uh, companies that we meet and clients that we work with are actually asking us to help them with their big story, right? So they don't have a big story when they land on our doorstep, we're helping them get a big story. And then they have to then take that big story and decide what elements of it are going to be part of the campaign, right? So you could probably try to tell the big story, but that might not be the best approach. So talk to our uh, audience a little bit about how they might go about boiling down the big story into some campaign messaging to maybe support one particular pillar in their overall company message. Yeah. So if it's okay with you, I'll use Square Two as an example. And this is not a pitch for our services. It's just a great example. Okay. So we came up with an idea. The idea was that lots of people are having trouble with their HubSpot tool. Their HubSpot tool is now a big bowl of spaghetti because they got the tool three, four, five years ago. Lots of people, people have touched it. Some things are dormant. Nobody cleans out the old this, that, or the other thing, and it becomes a real mess. So that was a pain of our prospects. Now, remember, the overarching message of Square Two is we'll help entrepreneurial and mid-market companies with their sales and marketing. So helping them with their technology tool, HubSpot, falls under that big uh, uh, message. And it's just a small subset of the people that are tired of their HubSpot being all messed up. So we said, hey, the biggest pain is you got this bowl of spaghetti and nobody really wants to go in and roll up their sleeves and take a look at what's going on and then make a list of all the things that need to be fixed and then picking away at them one by one. We should offer a service like that. So we came up with the HubSpot Garage, which has a lot of different facets to it. It could clean up your HubSpot for your marketing. It could clean up your HubSpot for your uh, website. Maybe it helps you with your HubSpot uh, uh, SEO efforts. There's about seven or eight different modules that go under the HubSpot garage. So now we're like, okay, we understand the big message. This cascades down, right? One part of it is cleaning up your HubSpot. What we want to do or our goal is to sell, let's say, 10 HubSpot garage monthly subscriptions. Now let's get this story in front of the right people. So while it might seem elementary when I speak it like that, it is something that a lot of people don't even think about, right? What's the pain or problem we're solving? What's the solution we have? And how can we get that story about how we could help people in the right, in front of the right people? So now we said, okay, we got this great new service. How are we going to like get it out in front of them? And let me stop there, Mike, because the strategy part, while it seems like I said, very elementary, is the critical first step that a lot of people don't go to. Here's what typically happens. Hey, let's send some emails out to tell people about our new service. Okay, we'll list the features and the benefits, and then they could talk to a salesperson. But that's not effective because you didn't think, wait a minute, the person has to understand what their problem is. They have to identify and emotionally connect with that problem. They have to realize they need some solution. They have to look and consider many options for that solution. They have to find the company that's uh, the one that's going to be the best fit, whether it be value or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, compatibility between their team and our team. Then we have to negotiate the deal. All of those things are forgotten because all they want to do is send out the email and check the box. Yeah, we ran a campaign. So strategy before tactics the recipe for the cake, not winging it. All of those things are really important when you're starting to talk about running a new campaign. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we also have an overarching story at Square Two that we want the people that work with us to love us. 
and some of the campaign messaging around that particular set of services that you're talking about is helping them get their HubSpot to be a well-oiled machine and, and, and giving some love back to HubSpot. So, you know, all of that kind of over, we're a HubSpot agency. I mean, we do some other technologies too, but a big part of our practice is HubSpot. So our overarching message is we help you with HubSpot. We have a, a, a set of services related to HubSpot and we're using a number of channels to get that story out there, including our website. There's a page on our website. We're running um, specific ads in on- um, Hold on a second, Mike. I have a question. Do you think anybody would hire us for HubSpot Garage unless they went to our website? Uh, no, absolutely not. Okay. So once again, let's send out some emails. Think through that. Well, where do we want them to click through? Well, let's make an amazing page on our website that shows off the product, answers all the questions, addresses concerns, makes them feel safe, right? Like that's a big thing because you don't want to run a campaign without having a landing page or a page in your website that someone can go to to find out everything about what you're talking about. So right. once again, there should be no campaigns without a matching landing page. Right. Um, just to give you another example that helps with this, we also build websites at Square Two and we're planning a uh, webinar at the end of June about websites and why you should love your website, which fits in with loving your agency. And that website, which is going to be uh, uh, co-presented by us and HubSpot, you know, we're going to get HubSpot to help us promote it. We're building our own set of promotions to support it. Not only are we pro promoting the webinar, which is more of a middle buyer journey offer in our view of things, but we're going to have a website related infographic that goes with it. There may be plenty of people who don't want to come to the webinar, but still want to learn about their website who could potentially have us assess their website, which is our late stage buyer journey offer. So we literally created three sets of offers, depending on the buyer journey that people are going through when it comes to fixing their website or getting a new website. And all of those offers will be communicated as part of our campaign leading up to this event at the end of June. So again, that's a slightly different perspective on thinking about what you need for a campaign. And then we're gonna promote all of those offers across a multitude of channels to get the people who know us, the people who don't know us, the people that want to know us, the people that maybe know us a little bit through HubSpot, you know, everyone's kind of coming to the table with a slightly different perspective. And we want to be able to talk to all of them. And not only once, you guys have probably read the, the research, but it takes like up to 12 touches, I think, today to get someone to do something. So, you know, I want them to see us on Instagram. I want them to see us on LinkedIn. I want them to see us on search. I want them to go to our website. I want them to go to the registration page. I want them to, to take a look at the infographic. You know, I want them to see us through HubSpot's eyes. Like those are all important um, uh, awareness executables that you're gonna need to drive a, a total campaign, right? So that's how you guys really need to start thinking about campaigns, like uh, overarching message for the company, how does this specific campaign fit in? And then what are the touches required to get someone to go from uninterested to interested to eventually wanting to talk to you about doing business? So it's a little more complicated than I think a lot of people think. It takes a little more work than I think a lot of people in some cases are willing to put into it. But the more uh, orchestrated and thought out your campaign is, the better it's going to do. And we're going to talk about performance um, in a couple minutes. Yeah. So that omni channel that you just described is so important. Man, these guys are everywhere. And I'll give you a quick example. On my recent trip, one of the straps of my backpack is starting to fray. Uh -oh. Well, it's to me 
right? I bought Toomey. I paid the premium price because I wanted the premium product to really hold up in all of my travels. And now after seven years, I'm guessing, Bonnie couldn't remember either, the backpack's giving out. So I went to the Toomey page because they don't make my backpack anymore. And I wanted to find out what's the new thing, right? Now, remember, I'm coming in cold. Nobody sent me an email. I didn't click through. So this is more organic. Now I am seeing ads for Tubi products, right? They're retargeting me. The page I went to to learn about it was amazing. Multiple videos, super close-ups, uh, 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 videos of clients saying how happy they are. Like they really thought through, what is this guy gonna need to buy a $500 backpack? Not a $99 backpack, a 500. Let's think through every question they might have. Then of course, even though my backpack is giving out, there was the link, match it with a piece of luggage. I'm like, wait a minute, my backpack should match. I like the matchy matchy thing, right? Now they got me going for a $2,000 purchase when all I had was a fraying thing because they thought through what could we do to make this person happy, but also cross sell them and upsell them and really drive some revenue. Yeah, it's such a good point. Now let's talk about the tactics a little bit because you, you mentioned an interesting one, which is retargeting. So just so everybody knows, Eric went to this website. The website placed a little cookie in his browser, and now Toomey or whoever the advertiser is can keep serving him ads, whatever ads they're interested in serving to him based on you know what website and what he was interested in when he went to the Toomey website. So that's just another example of a tactic that should be in your campaign that needs to be orchestrated around the same message that, that the product manager for Toomey Backpacks is trying to get out there to position those backpacks versus the other $500 backpacks, because Eric has choices. While he bought the Toomey Backpack originally, Someone does a better job marketing to him and he's on in the market for a backpack. He might, I don't know what the other expensive backpack brands are, but he might buy a Gucci backpack. That would be funny, right? Yeah. He might buy a Gucci backpack if they get to him, you know, before Toomey or in a more engaging way. You know, it's Toomey's business to lose, but it's easy to lose it if you don't execute, execute the campaign properly. Well, what's interesting is it's a $500 backpack and I'm cheap to begin with. Now I'm not... I'm not, uh, I'm okay with spending, you know, for good value because it did last seven years of what, 50 trips a year. But I Googled best backpacks for road warriors, right? And Toomey came up as one of the options. So they, I don't know if that was public relations or they actually created or curated that content themselves and placed it there. But in the places where it needed to be, now I'm feeling better. Now they also introduced me to uh, Briggs and, Riley, Briggs and Stratton, no, Briggs and Stratton is like an engine, right? Briggs and Riley. So other brands are out there too. And once again, Toomey had the comparison thing. So, you know, they're doing all the right things to get me to buy this expensive backpack. Now, what I think is interesting is that nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to spend $500 on a backpack today, right? There's some thinking that's going on, especially someone who perhaps is a little bit more cost conscious. So by being in all those places all the time and giving me the content and all those things, they're helping me get over the sticker shock of the $500 backpack to a place where I'm like, yeah, I've rationalized this to death. Yeah, I'm going to go buy it. And my birthday and Father's Day is coming up too. <laughs> right. You're bringing up an interesting point, which is maybe, you know, and even to your first point about the political campaign and the war campaign, like those are very kind of big initiatives, right? We're going to war. We're going to like try to win this election, right? Those are big initiatives. And I'm not sure campaigns 
always are big initiatives anymore. And as we're talking about your purchase experience, it's almost like they're, they're, they're planning a one-to-one campaign to you, right? They were there when you searched, right? They, um, I'm sure they picked up that intent data that you were searching for those particular things. They had already perfectly placed the comparison content that you're right. I'm sure they curated that and put that out there and ranked it for best, you know, backpacks for road warriors, because that's important to them. And they came up, they're willing to go up against the other people in that article because they're comfortable that they can, you know, win most of the time on that. So you're reading that you're feeling more comfortable. You're going to their website, you're getting a page there. The page has questions. Maybe you, you downloaded something else to compare their stuff versus someone else. So it's like a campaign of a one-to-one campaign. It's just as important today as the one-to-many campaign. In fact, I would argue that the companies that execute marketing the best and the most efficiently are running those one-to-one campaigns, maybe even more frequently, or at least as frequently as the one-to-many campaigns. And you know, our, our audience should think about that because today with technology, you can really run a lot of one-to-one campaigns at scale. Like what we just talked about that Eric's experiencing they are running that one-to-one campaign at scale. They're using automation to serve up the remarketing, probably Google or some other product like that. They're, they, they've properly identified keywords and work to optimize their content in Google search engines. They're serving up the right web pages based on user experience and, and, and the, the questions that they have and how far they're getting down that page. You know, they are really, I'm sure you'll get an email in a couple of days from Toomey talking about their backpack collection because you're in their database and they know what you're looking for. So they're running a, camp, a one-to-one campaign at scale, which is something that you, you, you really ought to consider because there's tons of data that personalized campaigns work better than kind of mass marketed campaigns. Now, this is a B2C example, but keep in mind that the experience Eric is modeling is the same experience he wants for his B2B transactions also. So you know, if you're a B2B marker thinking like, oh, this is not for me, you're wrong. You have to figure out how to execute those one-to-one campaigns at scale, even if you're a B2B company, because you know what, you're still doing business with a single person who's going to make a decision to whether they want to buy your, your manufacturing services, your, your products, your software services, your professional services. It doesn't matter. Someone's going to decide whether you're the right company for them. They're going to influence that decision at their company. They're going to share information with other people at that company. It's a one-to-one conversation and the campaigns need to be designed accordingly. So I just Googled, Toomey is doing $762 million in sales in 2019. I don't have anything more recent. Mike, do you think they have the budget to run a billboard campaign? I would say they do have the budget to run a billboard campaign. What about radio and TV? Uh, They definitely have the budget for that also. But they're not. Why do you think that is? Because they found a way to do these one-to-one campaigns very effectively. At scale, right? And they're so a lot less expensive, right? Right, because remember, if you put up a, a Toomey billboard on I-95 in Philadelphia, how many of the 100,000 visitors going by are actually even like in the market for a Toomey? I'd say a small percentage, maybe. Right, but it, the way the advertising model works is that it's the impressions of everybody driving by. People that don't even travel. People that could never afford a Toomey, right? Yes. People that could afford a Toomey but would never spend that money on a Toomey. But they are leaning in to the one-to-one digital campaign going right after the people that are interested or fit the profile of who they want to sell to. 
And I find that to be so 2022. They're like really uh, grabbing hold of this omni-channel digital approach as opposed to just let's just shotgun it out there and see what happens. I mean, or like I think this would be a more reasonable example because I do still get these like sending you a catalog or sending you a postcard, you know, because I do get, you know, high end consumer stuff that comes to me in a catalog and lots of times I leaf through it and throw it out. I mean, and that catalog was, it was very expensive. The photography, the, the materials that they're using to produce those catalogs, like I get it, they have a high end product and they want a high end catalog, but it's just not the best way to run a campaign to, in my opinion, mo most people. I would agree that same information that they uh, use to create the traditional brochure could be just repurposed to a wonderful experience. Like lean into Pinterest as opposed to printing a brochure. Like there's so many ways they could spend their money without printing and mailing. Yeah. Um, a couple of things before we get into questions. So we want to connect the different channels, right? So there's a couple of ways to connect these different channels. One is obviously with a message. So if you're having similar messages be delivered through your social ads or your paid search ads or your emails and your retargeting and your website, that's one way to keep the uh, campaign consistent. Another is with creative. Like you want to make sure that you have the same kind of creative approach to all those different channels, which means potentially picking the same images, the same artwork, the same colors. And that might not necessarily be brand colors. If you're running like a campaign that's, that's maybe seasonal, you might have fall colors or summer, summer colors. So you want to like keep those consistent. So the creative and the messaging and the offers, like we talked about some offers for our upcoming um, webinar with HubSpot, you know, we're going to want to have all of those offers included in all of our campaigns across all of our channels to drive as many people at the different stages of their buyer journey into our um, uh, funnel and then into having an experience with Square 2, whether they download something, watch something, sign up for something or not, we want them to continue to get the same experience and the same message and the same feeling, regardless of what channel they're connecting to. So that's one way to keep these different channels and offers um, consistent across the campaign. The, the other thing I wanna cover real quickly is how do you track success? And Eric, you can comment on this. Um, Eric, you're gonna go to probably the macro level of success, which is closed business, obviously. Um, but there are so many ways to track success when you're looking at these campaigns now, especially digitally. You know, the billboard might be challenging to track success because who knows how many people saw it. And I don't think you're whipping out your smartphone while you're driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour to start trying to find their website. So I don't even know if putting some kind of tracking code or do they put you are do they put QR codes on on uh, billboards now? I don't, that doesn't seem safe either, right? That seems, yeah, not so safe, right? I'm but haven't you seen QR codes on TV commercials now? Like that, Absolutely. that, that I don't even know how quickly I could get my phone out and get that picture snap before they're, they're on to the next well, thing. Well, they were running it during a sporting event and they ran it three times. I guess they're like the first one is to tee it up and the next two they'll actually Maybe. get some conversions. But right. yeah, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an excellent way to integrate and track. Yeah. So, I mean, everything digital is trackable. So you can track how many people come to your website and how many people convert. You can track where on the website they're converting and where they're leaving. If you're running remarketing campaigns or paid search, you're obviously tracking impressions and clicks and then conversions on your website. So there's so much data associated with the success of the individual campaign elements that can be rolled up to the overall campaign as well. And then, you know, maybe you are trying to track leads generated or sales as a result of the campaign. 
So revenue attribution is a very trackable metric. Um, you know, it might be difficult to attribute revenue to a specific channel in your campaign, but I don't think it would be difficult to attribute revenue to the overall campaign. And I think if you're looking for some advice on, on how to consider revenue attribution, I think you want to look at the overall campaign because do you really care if they came from paid or they came from search or they came from an email or they came from a retargeting act activity? I think you generally want to know, you know, is our uh, uh, messaging working? Is our creative working? Is our overall campaign strategy working? Are the tactics as a whole working to drive people into the business? I think that's a little more important than, you know, carving out paid Instagram specifically. I mean, I think I would want to know how it's doing, but I don't know if I'd really be so concerned about you know, how much revenue is that one specific channel generating if the overall campaign is performing. Eric, you have an opinion on that? No, I think you summed that up beautifully. All right, cool. And then the last question, and Eric, I'll let you handle this question, is how long do we how long do you think people want to, and this is actually the first question too in our in our uh, list of questions. Um, and I'll just ask the question because we can get into questions as well. So this is from Pam in North Dakota. I get asked this question internally a lot. How long should the campaign run? Sometimes a month seems too short, but six months seems too long. What do you guys think? Well, what, talk to us a little bit about like the length of a campaign. Yeah, so the, I like the way that Pam from North Dakota bracketed that, right? Six months is too long and a month is too short. Well, a month might actually not be too short if it's a specific dimension of the campaign. So the, what I mean by that is simply that if you're looking at something like how many people opened our emails, a month obviously is plenty of time because I believe that the metric is 72 hours, right? 92%, if I, my math is right, 92% of people open up emails within the first 72 hours and then it's over. The other 8% could be negligible. So it might be less for something like email, but today's topic is omnichannel campaigns. So when we want to look at it on the whole, I think that actually a few days or a few weeks is actually too small. The reason being is that if you're retargeting me and I don't click till the fourth time, which is two weeks from now, and then I start on my journey then, and it takes me 30 days to figure it out, you know, you don't want to cut yourself short. What I like to do is I like to take uh, temperature readings along the way. You know how uh, Ben Franklin, when he was crossing the Atlantic, he and his son actually charted the Gulf Stream for the first time. And how they did it is by taking readings at one, uh, sorry, temperature readings at one foot below the surface, six feet below the surface, and I think it was like 20 feet below the surface, all day on the month-long trip across the Atlantic. And by using those readings at different levels, they were able to put together the whole picture of where the Gulf Stream is, how it moves, and all the other dimensions. And I think it's a good example for campaigns also, right? You can dip your toe in the water after a week or so and see what the initial results are for certain tactics, maybe go a, a month on 90% of the tactics and then maybe three months on the entire campaign. But I think you'd have to give it a full quarter to run using an omnichannel approach before you got 92% of the results in and that could give you an indication or insight as to should you continue this campaign, increase it, get rid of it and so forth. I think that's a good general rule of thumb for our audience to take away. I think the other overlay would be, you know, what, what your objective of the campaign is, right? So if we're going to run a campaign to promote a webinar, promoting it three months in advance might not be worthwhile, right? Am I really going to sign up for a webinar in August when it's May? Like, probably not. Like, 
you know, remind me when we get a little closer is probably what I'm going to think, delete, right, or ignore. So, I mean, if we're running a campaign to drive webinar attendance, then, you know, maybe a month is enough, or maybe a little bit longer than a month would be enough. If your um, sales cycle is six months, then you might consider a longer campaign also, because it's going to take more reminding, more touches to get people into that sales cycle, get them into their buyer journey, manage them through their buyer journey. Um, and, and that campaign would need to be spaced out longer. I mean, I would design a six-month campaign um, completely different than I would design a one-month campaign. So I think there are some strategy questions that you would need to answer before you really decide how long your campaign needs to be. And then to Eric's point, set the appropriate milestones for performance along the way and make sure you're tracking appropriately. And if you're not, you should be able to, even if it's a short-term campaign, be able to go in and make some adjustments, you know, if our retargeting isn't working, well, let's take a look at the page we're sending them to. Or let's take a look at our retargeting criteria. Or let's make sure our cookie is firing properly because um, something doesn't look right. We need to make those adjustments in a couple of days if we're running a one month or a six week campaign. You know, if we're running a six month campaign, uh, we might be willing to let that run for you know a good three or four weeks before we start looking at it. So Pam, I would put a little context to your question around length um, in terms of what you're trying to get the, the, the big action as a result of your campaign. Um, what do you want people to do as a result of the campaign? Okay, uh, I got a question here from Bilal in Minnesota. How connected does the campaign messaging need to be with the overall company messaging? Do you see this disconnected frequently? And we talked about it a little bit, Eric, but what, what's your advice for Bilal here? Of course, of course, it has to be connected. One plus one equals three, right? We're getting momentum now. You know, I think that if you're doing a good job of the big story, the overall company message, the overarching message, it's always going to go back to your prospects and clients, right? The message that you're designing is supposed to resonate with them emotionally. If that's the case, then you already have one leg up, right? Because you're already making that connection. They understand that you have their best interest in mind or you're solving some problems or something like that. Now go down to a 1A in a campaign where you have a specific solution for one of the issues that causes pains. And if it's tied together with the overarching message, you're just getting that uh, synergy, synergy of the two pieces working better together. If I have an auto body shop and all of a sudden I start to get emails about uh, low fat diet cookies, I'm like, wait a minute, this is an auto body shop. Well, when you dig a little bit, uh, the wife of the owner happens to be passionate about dieting and created this cookie recipe, right? But the people that have been listening to the auto body message about, you know, don't do without your car, make your uh, used car look better than your new one, uh, solve an accident problem, whatever. Now they have this message out of left field about cookies. They're not really thinking that through. In fact, they're violating the relationship they have with their customer base who has been um, loyally listening to their messages with a uh, overt um, uh, attempt to sell them something. And that really loses credibility in the marketplace. So I do think that they have to tie together as much as humanly possible. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if we go back to your example of the one-to-one -one campaign at scale, if you have a good overall company story, then it doesn't, it's not too hard to, and now I'm going to use a very specific B2B example. It's not hard to take that overall company message or story and tailor it down to CFOs at manufacturing companies and run a very specific targeted campaign across channel with CFO messaging that fit in under your company's overall story 
and manufacturing social proof or manufacturing content um, that you're offering. Like now you have a very effective, targeted, segmented campaign that fits in really beautifully over the company's overall message. And you can then take that manufacturing to CROs, manufacturing to CMOs, manufacturing to um, procurement managers, right? And then you could do the same thing with a different vertical, right? Maybe you're also going after um, software companies, right? CFOs at software companies, CFOs, uh, CMOs at software companies, CROs at software companies. So you can create this very targeted messaging within your overall overarching story that can produce very effective campaign ex executables that, that drive a lot of really solid results. Now, don't get me wrong, what I just described is a lot more work than coming up with one campaign message that goes out to everybody, right? Because you know, you're talking about tailoring the subtext and you're talking about tailoring the, tailoring the content and tailoring the nurtures, and tailoring the retargeting and tailoring the ad. So yes, it's gonna be more complicated to create and more expensive to execute, um, but it probably, not probably, it's going to produce better results for sure. You know, I had an excellent conversation earlier today with a prospective client. They basically help any manufacturer who makes products um, uh, internet, uh, what's, a uh, what's IOT, um, internet of things, internet of things, right? So let's say you have a Wi-Fi enabled vacuum cleaner. Okay. The manufacturer of the Wi-Fi enabled vacuum cleaner would go to this company and create the app and the, how do you get started instructions and talk to the Wi-Fi enabled uh, vacuum cleaner. So their whole thing is helping Internet of Things companies uh, have a great experience with their customers, but they have a subset, which is what they asked us about. CFOs always are looking to cut expenses. When you don't have this kind of application, you have a huge customer service department because everybody's going, how do I get my Wi-Fi enabled vacuum cleaner to work? Well, when you have a really great tool, it cuts down that. You could slice your customer service department in half, save all those salaries. So they wanted a specific campaign to CFOs about cost savings, even though the big story is about Internet of Things devices. Yeah, it's a great example. I can't help but laugh, but when you're talking about the Wi-Fi enabled vacuum cleaner, I just feel like my vacuum cleaner is now chasing me around the house trying to clean my carpet. Is, didn't, isn't that a show or like a, an episode of something? I feel like I saw it on TV. I think somewhere. you're thinking of the Roomba that's chasing those pets all over. <laughs> yeah, but before that, there was the vacuum cleaner that went crazy. Maybe it was like a Three Stooges episode, right? Maybe. You're Probably showing your age. up, the bag blows up, there's dust everywhere. That's the point is, though, is that that's a subset of an overarching message that was specific around a campaign because if they can attack, I think he said there's 15,000 companies that actually produce internet of things, Wi-Fi enabled products. Yeah. And each one of those CFOs is who they wanted to attack. Not the product manager, not the brand manager, not the engineer who's specking that all in, but really the CFOs about why they should use that. Yeah. And their, their indicator, their uh, audience was anybody whose customer service team is larger than their sales team. Mm. Yeah, it's a good, that's a good example. Yeah. All right, I got a question here from Mark in Dallas. How do you guys decide how many channels are right for each campaign? How much does budget play a role in deciding the number of channels? Seems like a well, good question. Yeah, first of all, you got to have an understanding of the persona, right? So you want to run an omni-channel campaign and you want to spend the money to create six TikTok videos when you're dealing with 55-year-old uh, engineers 
they're not on TikTok. So that's not a thing that you have to budget for because it's just not going to be absorbed. Is there, are there a 55 year old uh, engineer on TikTok? Yes, but that's not going to be the main source of how they're going to consume information um, anecdotally. So <laughs> understanding the persona will help you decide what are the channels that you're going to use because that's the way that those folks would receive information. You want to take the budget part? Yeah, I think budget is a big conversation uh, when it comes to campaigns. Like most people can't do everything they want to do, right? So if we spec out a campaign and it has six channels and the budget is $10,000 a month and your budget's seven, then we got to start prioritizing the channels, right? And I would basically look at which channels are going to produce the best results for the least amount of investment. And I would start with those and, you know, line them up. And, and, and keep, you know, check, check, check until I get to my budget. And when I get to my budget, the ones that didn't make the cut are the ones that are going to probably either cost the most and, and have the potential to produce the least amount of results. Or maybe they might not be the most expensive, but they're the most risky or have the chance of producing the least amount of results. So that prioritization methodology is a pretty effective uh, approach for almost anything in marketing. Start with the things that are going to produce the best lift or the best results for the least amount of money and work your way back from there. You know, you may, you know, you know, you may end up with something that you really want to do, but it's going to be really expensive. And if it doesn't make the cut, you're still good on your other tactics. And look, if you hit a home run with those other tactics and it really starts scoring, you could circle back and look at those tactics that didn't make the cut. You could go back to whoever decides what your budget's supposed to be and say, hey, we're really killing it on this campaign. If you gave me a little more budget, I could open up one or two more channels and we could really like accelerate the results from this particular campaign. I think that's a really smart conversation to have and one that you're basically using performance data to you know, inform your, your budget decision. I think even the stingiest CFO would probably say, well, look, you're performing at the current budget. Here's a little bit extra money. Let's see what you can do. Yeah, good point. Okay, um, good. Here's a good one. It's from Don in New York City. How do you recommend we do campaign projections? So how would you answer Donna's question, Eric? Well, I mean, I like to work backwards, okay? And we actually just did this with our event sponsorship question, right? If we're going to spend X amount of dollars, what do we need to get back? All right, let's get uh, four customers each spending 50 grand a piece, 200,000. Our net profit would be 20,000. The thing costs 10,000 to sponsor. We would clear 10,000. I'm just being like really quick offhand, right? So you got to start backwards. Like, what do I want out of this? Now, if I can't do that calculation that I just did quickly and it immediately looks like I can make 50% on my money, then you got to stop and make sure that it's an appropriate campaign for a return on investment. If you're trying to sell things and you don't think it's going to be a overwhelming, um, uh, sorry, overwhelmingly accepted by the target market, rethink your campaign, right? Maybe there's another thing you can offer that you'd feel more comfortable. So once again, make sure. Now, I always use a 50% factor with campaigns because I'm always 50% more optimistic than I should be. And if I think I'm going to get 10 customers, I knock it down to five just to make sure that it's realistic. So in your campaign uh, planning, make sure that your numbers are conservative, maybe even extra conservative as I just demonstrated. Now you know how much you're going to spend and what you want back. Now fill in the blanks. 
How many channels do we need to do? What's our budget going to be per month? Uh, what are the expected top of level conversions? How many of those are going to occur to convert it to MQL, then to SQL, then to sales opportunities, and then to deals? So that's a simple arithmetic conversation about budget planning. But I don't think too many people actually take the time to put that down on paper. I promised Mike that if I went to this conference, I would come back with 50 leads. And I came back with 194. All right, that's looking good. Now there's a lot of other steps to go before we're done this. Out of those 194, about 25 of them have already booked discovery calls. All right, well, I thought that maybe we would get more, but it's only the second day. So let's just say we get 40 at the end of it, right? Out of 40, if you then apply the traditional sales um, metrics to what we have going on, out of 45, we should get five deals. If I got the five deals at our profit margin, would it make sense to sponsor this conference? Absolutely. If we get two deals, it'll be break even. Three deals is a profit. Five deals would be a bonanza. So like that's the kind of off the cup arithmetic that people should engage in first. Now, if it's going in the right direction and you feel like, wow, this is really a possibility, then I think you could get a little bit more granular in how many conversions, timing, sales cycle, and all those things. If you have an internal analyst, they can certainly do that. If you don't, then you'd have to go to your software and pull some of those uh, traditional metrics and then apply them to your campaign assumptions to make sure that it's going to work out. You know, 194 leads was really great, but that doesn't pay the bills. Only the revenue generated from that will pay the bills. And that's why you can't be all like, we're going to get a couple hundred people in our database. Well, if none of them buy, then it's a big waste of time. Yeah. I, I Eric likes to work backwards. I like to work forwards. So I like to look at the channel and the specific tactic and see what I think that's going to produce. And then just keep looking at the tactics and the channels until you get enough volume to support the program. And that's kind of where Eric's calculation comes in, right? So, you know, how many people are going to see this ad? How many people are going to click on it? How many people are going to come to the website? How many people are going to convert? Of those conversions, how many people are going to be qualified leads? How many of those people are going to be sales opportunities? Honestly, once they become sales opportunities, it's up to the sales team to close them. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a little less, you know, worried about that piece of it, but I'm still running the math just to see how it's going to work out. Um, and I'm going to keep add, adding channels and keep adding audience until I get enough volume to make the campaign look like a winner on paper. So either one of these approaches, I think, work. Both of these approaches have the end game in mind, which is not impressions or clicks, but, you know, good quality leads handed to the sales reps or even potentially um proposals or closed business, right? So, yeah. you know, a, a, depending on your relationship with sales is where I would stop my math, right? If your relationship with sales is really tight and you're getting, you're being held accountable just like they are for new business and revenue, then I would run the math all the way out to the end and say, look, we're going to run this campaign. Here's the top of the buyer journey. Here's the bottom of the buyer journey. And here's how many new clients I think we're going to get out of it. Obviously, that makes a lot of sense. If if your relationship with sales is just team me up with good opportunities, then I would stop the math there and be like, look, how does 50 good opportunities sound? Sounds great. I'll take it from there. Um, you know, that's going to depend on your organization and the culture of your revenue efforts. But both of these are pretty straightforward analytical exercises where you look at what you're going to be executing. And you just do some estimating. Now, if you've done these before, you can look at historical performance and it gets a little bit easier. You know, 
Um, when you're looking at social advertising, it'll you you know all of these social platforms will tell you your available audience, so you know how many people are going to see your ads, whether it's fifty thousand or five hundred thousand or five million. You'll have some idea how many people are going to see it. They'll also basically show you generally what the impression rate is, so you can and the click through rate. So you know these platforms have so much data that you can run all the math right there. Um, you just have to stack up enough channels to get to your goals and objectives for a specific campaign, and when you get there. I, I think you're done. I mean, if you want to overachieve to get Eric's fudge factor in there, then go ahead and add a couple of extra channels, knowing that maybe you're a little overly optimistic on the projections. But either way, you should have a pretty good idea of what each of these channels need to contribute to get you to your goals. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip a question here just because yeah, it's timing. Uh, let's, let's see. see. Uh, we talked about revenue attribution, so I don't think we need to cover that. Um, this is a good one. This is from Mike in Los Angeles. How do you communicate campaign plans to the sales team? How about the customer service team? So look, let's look at revenue a little holistically. So how do you get sales and customer service involved in, these, in the campaign execution? Yeah, I don't think that, you know, I, I, sorry, the most standard uh, SOP, standard operating procedure would be create the whole campaign and then just teach them what's going on. I think that's a bad move. If you're looking at the concept of alignment between sales marketing and customer service and you have those people in your revenue department, you do have a revenue department, right? Okay, good, just checking. <laughs> if you have a revenue department, then this should be a group planning session. Hey, customer service people, how, how do you think we should approach this? Like, what's the easiest way to close these deals when, they, when the folks call in? Hey, sales, you're going to be introducing yourselves to people we haven't met before. Is this simple enough? Is this easy enough? Is this going right to the heart of the matter? I think it has to be a real collaborative approach. Now, a couple of things happen when you do that. One, it's a better program because three heads are better than one or three departments are better than one. But two, you're immediately getting buy-in from sales and customer service right from the go because you incorporated them into the conversation. So now what happens is there's this like kind of group think going on like, oh man, the campaign is being released this weekend. It's going to be great. I can't wait to get my first one as opposed to shoot marketing piled on another campaign on top of me. And now I got to deal with this one like the last three they did. And that's why I think a real collaborative or collegial approach to campaign planning with sales, marketing, and customer service is essential. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to actually uh, just take it a little bit further. And I think those are channels for your campaign. I mean, if someone calls in and says, oh, I saw this, this ad on Instagram and I'm interested in like this kind of thing, sales has to be informed about what they're supposed to do. Are they supposed to have a particular conversation? Are they supposed to send a particular content? Are they supposed to enroll this person in a particular sequence or, or automated set of lead nurtures? Like you have to include them as a channel in the campaign. And the same thing with customer service, especially if your campaign is targeted at customers, which by the way, is an often neglected area where revenue is hiding. You, you, you almost need to spend as much time running campaigns to current customers as you are running campaigns to prospects. So um I, Eric is 100% right. You have to include them in the process so that they understand what you're doing. But I think you got to think about them as a channel too. And if people do connect with them, they have to know exactly what to do and how to do it to keep that experience um, uh, top notch for those people that are connecting with them. So they need all the tools. They need to understand the timing. They need to understand, they need to be trained on the campaign so they know what you're going for and what comes next. And I like to actually include them in the campaign. So if you're sending stuff out 
send it to them too. So that when someone does call them and they're like, oh, you know, I saw this email the other day. Like, oh, of course, the, you know, the, the, uh, the widget, widget 5,000 email. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Let me answer some of those questions for you. By the way, we have a video prepared for people who have questions. Let me send it to you. Oh, and we have this knowledge base with FAQs in case you have some other questions. Let me show you the link to that. Like, it's such a better experience when they're like, Oh, uh, can I take a look at what you're looking at? Which we hear this a million times as consumers. Can you send me what you got so I can take a look at it? Like, that's not good. Like everybody should be on the same page and they should all know exactly what's going on. I'm going to encourage you to really include them as, a, as another channel in the campaign to make sure that that experience is really tight and, and robust when someone does enter into, into some kind of exchange with you guys. Anything you want to add to that? No, that's great. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, so let's see, uh, a couple more questions here. Um, okay, this is a good one. Marianne in Seattle, how about content? Is this part of your campaign planning exercise? So I know we kind of talked a little bit about this in terms of Square Two's campaigns, but what if I'm a manufacturer? How, how does content fit into my campaign executables? Oh, come on, manufacturing. There's so many moving parts. Plus manufacturing in general is a very visual and like uh, descriptive kind of thing you're selling. So I think that it really weighs heavily into content. So let's talk about the persona for a second. If I'm a persona and I'm thinking about manufacturing, I got a lot of questions. How are these finished? How fast? How many? How are they packaged? Right? All those things that come with it. Content gives you a great opportunity to answer those questions and really kind of... Uh, expedite they're moving from just the consideration stage into actually buying so um, while uh, manufacturing somehow sometimes might be classified as pedestrian aka boring it's really not because for the person who's buying it it's an exciting move it's an addition to their arsenal of tools they could use to manufacture whatever they're making turns into an opportunity to make profit it's very exciting you just got to tell that story on their terms yeah, we talked last week about how sales is no longer in control of the buyer journey and that prospects are executing their own buyer journey. In fact, I keep seeing more and more data in the research that it could be as, as close to 90% of the buyer journey is now self-moderated self by consumers, uh, by prospects and sales is really getting brought in at the very end to just facilitate a couple of specific questions. You know, if that's all true, and I think it is, then content has to be at the core of your campaign. In fact, I don't think you can really execute it without, you can't execute any campaigns without content, right? Because you're, you're going to be talking to people who are early in the buyer journey, and they don't want to demo. And you're going to be talking to people in the middle of the buyer journey, and they don't want to demo either. They're still trying to learn about this particular product and how it can help them. They're still trying to learn about the industry. Um, you know, Eric and I talked to this software company last week with a highly technical product, and they're going to have to do a whole bunch of industry education about their entire uh, uh, area of, of that they're serving, right? So, you know, they have a very long runway where content is going to be part of the education process before they even get to talk about their specific product. So I think you, you need to feature content prominently everywhere. And, you know, if you start executing campaigns and planning campaigns, like we talked about, like, it'll become a little more apparent, right? You can't create a page on your website that has no content. You can't, you know, put, you know, emails are so short, like no one has a long attention span to read emails. So 
you know, if you're talking about five or six sentences, what can you really communicate in an email? You have to have a link back to a piece of content or a page with content. Even these ads. I mean, if you haven't written an ad for these social platforms, you get like 30 characters. I mean, like you literally have no time to say anything. So the whole objective should be for the ad should be to get someone back to a page where you can feature your content. So I think content has to be the star of the show. The, the better your content, the better your campaigns are going to perform. And I really think they need to be in almost every touch that you're, you're, you're creating for this content, right? Every, every single channel has to leverage content. Every single touch has to feature content. I agree. Okay, um, good. Tracking right along here. What about nurturing leads that come in during the campaign and or after the campaign is over? How should we think about the nurture sequence when there's overlapping touches? This is from Candace in, Candace in Atlanta. So you know what she's asking? She's asking about, you know, someone converts, but the campaign is still running at a high level. How do you deal with the nurture when that scenario uh, comes into play? I would make sure that what I'm nurturing them with is like the finer details, right? Because the higher campaign in theory is meant to engage and get them to do something, fill out a form, uh, download something, attend a webinar, whatever it might be. But the nurture campaign could provide all of the stuff between the lines, right? Did you know? Or you could also supplement or validate what's going on in the campaign with some extra testimonial videos, some kind of like uh, content, a little bit about uh, here's a, a video from the president talking about why this campaign is so important to you to, to engage with. But it's not the same content repurposed, but it's an additional content that either fills in the blank or answers deeper or more uh, complex questions. That's the way I like to look at those nurture. Because if I'm like, yeah, okay, this is interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, it could solve this problem. Stuff that I didn't read about on the initial outreach. Now you're really filling in the blanks. I mean, if you think about it, like a puzzle, right? You can't get the sale until you have all 100 pieces of the puzzle in place. So maybe the campaign is the border, right? And all of the nurture fills in all the pieces inside. Yeah, that's a good idea. A good uh, way to think about it. I'll give you a slightly different way to think about it. I feel like the campaigns are kind of like that. The, I, I look at it as two tracks, right? If the campaign is up here at like the 30,000 foot track, the nurture can be down here at the 10,000 foot track and the nurture can be very specific to whatever action they took, right? So, you know, if they did sign up for a webinar, as an example, you can still be telling them the high level story at the 30,000 foot view, but now you're getting them excited for the webinar, right? So you might be like, oh, you should sign up for our blog. People who come to our webinars love our blog. Here's a blog article that's specifically about something you, can, you, you said was important to you, right? Maybe there's another piece of content that you want them to engage with that's specifically related to what they converted on initially. So you can run those nurtures at a second level. The other option is, and again, it's, it's really personal preference. I think both of these ideas make sense. A lot of the automation just allows you to take people out of automation if they execute a certain, a certain behavior. So you could, if you wanted to, if you were worried about competing messages or worried about too many touches, you could have someone just fall out of your ongoing high-level campaign if they convert. And then you could potentially have them get back in it when your nurture is over. So if you are worried about touches and 
too much marketing to someone, then there are some options you can probably deploy within your technology that would make that more manageable depending on how you how you want it configured. I think both of those are legitimate approaches depending on how you feel about your campaigns and the amount of touches. Uh, I, both of those I think would be acceptable. Agreed. Awesome. Really good questions. Thanks everybody for who, who uh, provided questions today. We covered all of them. So, um, Eric, thanks a lot. This was a really good conversation around campaigns, something we don't talk frequently about. Um, I don't know why exactly, but it seems like it's coming up more and more in our conversations with prospects and clients. So it was a timely topic. Next week in episode 34, we have another, I mean, sorry, episode 35, we have another interesting topic with what's wrong with revenue. Your approach might not be agile enough. So, you know, a lot of people look at marketing. It's right, Eric, you got to bob and weave. A lot of people look at marketing as this kind of like long-term planning exercise. And we found that it has to be much more responsive and much more agile and much more data-driven. So next week, we're going to talk about how you can take a more agile approach to executing revenue generation and why your longer-term perspective might be bogging down your efforts and might be contributing to a general malaise in the revenue area. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Really appreciate it. You can get the show on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing YouTube channel. Please like us. Please comment. Please subscribe. The show is available. It will be available tomorrow morning on all your favorite podcast platforms, Podbean, Stitchers, iTunes, Apple. Uh, if you're into podcasts, check it out there. If you want the video content on our site, go to square2marketing.com backslash square2plus, our free streaming service where all of our audio and video content is housed. We have content for marketers, content for sales, content for customer service people, HubSpot content around technology, revenue content, marketing content. Go check it out. There's a channel for everybody and you can subscribe to the service. We will let you know when new content is, is uh, posted. And last but not least, if you want the show and you want to submit a question or you like the show and you want to get notified of the show, go to the What's Wrong With Revenue link at the bottom of the Square Two Marketing website and you can get all of that information right there at the What's Wrong With Revenue page. Thanks everybody for joining. Have a really good rest of your day and uh, enjoy your weekend. Eric, thanks very much. As always, great doing this with you. See you later.